Thank you for listening to the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passages for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. I'm Dwayne McCurry, your host, and today I'm being joined by Mike Livingston. Mike's been with us a couple of times this quarter, so Mike, thank you for being with us again this week. Thank you. We're going to be looking at session nine. It's an examination of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 24. The main point here is that salvation is demonstrated through God-honoring lives. We have three points in the outline, respecting, accountable, and sanctified. That first point, respecting, deals with verses 12 through 13 of chapter 5. In these verses, Paul asked the Thessalonian believers to honor their church leaders who work hard and lead well. He also called on church members to live at peace with each other. For us, we need to remember that we should treat other church members in a way that brings God honor. That second point is accountable, which looks at verses 14 through 22 of chapter 5. In these verses, Paul challenged his readers to hold each other accountable for living a Christ-honoring life. In their quest for holy living, they were to pursue whatever was good and be thankful for everything. The main point of that section is that pursuing goodness and being thankful honor God. The last section, verses 23 through 24, we've entitled this Sanctified. In these verses, Paul concluded his admonitions with a prayer for God to sanctify the Thessalonian believers. He expressed confidence in God's faithfulness and ability to sanctify and keep believers. The point for us to walk away with is that God's power sanctifies and keeps the believer. Mike, when you were on last time, we talked a lot about sanctification, I believe, and when we looked at session five. So this builds on some of those themes. We are told, though, it's a little bit different here. We are told to give regard to church leaders uh, in verses 12 through 13. What are some ways of us doing that? Well, there's actually, um, there's two two commands in that verse, verse, um, oh, actually 12 and 13. There's two commands in, the, yeah. in those two verses, and they're related. They're similar and related. One is to give recognition, and the other is to, to regard. Uh, the first one, to, to give recognition to those who labor among you and who lead you, <clears throat> give recognition, also translated uh, respect, uh, show them respect. And it's literally to know, know them, which I, I believe that's how the King James translates it, to know. But it means more than just know them. It means to acknowledge them and, and involve showing appreciation. That's, that's the meaning of the first command. And then the second, regard them, or some translations, esteem. Um, <clears throat> regard them or esteem them and not and not just regard them but to to regard them very highly paul as says and he adds that this is this is grounded in love and the word for love there is the word agape it's the love of self-sacrifice it's the same word used to describe the love that jesus has for his church um so that's 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 the command the, the two commands there but you know um pastors don't we know they don't do what they do for recognition. They don't do what they do for praise. Um, but it's right. It's good that we uh, honor them for what they do, that we, we acknowledge their work. 
And the scriptures tell us to do that. We're, we're, we're told to do that in the scripture. There's another passage um, about, well, more than one other passage, but one of the places where Paul talks about this is in 1 Timothy 5. In verse 17, uh, it says the elders who are good leaders are, are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. And what Paul is saying over in that passage in 1 Timothy is, you know, we need to take care of our, the needs of our leaders, those who lead us. We need to make sure we take care of their needs. Uh, and by the way, the Bible school in this, in this session um, is related to that. And it, it tells us or asks us to compare these two passages, the one here in 1 Thessalonians 5 and the one in 1 Timothy 5. So that's, that's the Bible school for this session. Now, both of those, both of those commands, as you see in verses 12 and 13, are, um, they're both present tense commands. And, and the significance of that is that this, this is to be a habitual thing that we do. Um, recognizing our leaders or recognizing our pastor is, is not a once a year thing. It's something that we are to do all the time. Uh, you know, I think there is a, there's a, is it October? I believe is Pastor's Appreciation Month. Yes, it is first, October. Yeah, maybe the first Sunday of that month, I think, is Pastor Appreciation Sunday. Um, you know, Hallmark, Hallmark didn't come up with that idea. Hallmark didn't come up with the idea of showing our pastor's appreciation. This is a biblical teaching, a biblical thing. So some ways that we can do that, some ways that we can do that, um, you know, some tangible ways we can do that. Um, would include, um, you know, pa pastors love books. I know I love books. I, I don't know of any pastor who doesn't love books. What about giving your pastor a gift card to buy whatever books, you know, he chooses? And by the way, Lifeway uh, offers gift cards, lifeway.com. You go in there and buy a gift card, give it to your pastor, he can pick out any book he wants. Um, but just think of tangible ways that you can show your pastor appreciation. This is something you can, you can discuss in your group. You know, what's something helpful you can do for your pastor? You know, you may go cut his grass, detail his car, fill his car up with gas, uh, offer to provide childcare so he and his wife can have a date night. Um, you know, send him thank you notes, a note of encouragement. Why don't you just ask him, you know, what can I do to help you? Um, you know, just ask. And certainly one way that we can, we can um, honor our pastors and leaders is to pray for them every day. You know, that's something that Paul repeatedly asked churches to pray for him. And even in, in um, down at the end of this chapter, First Thessalonians 5, he, he said, pray for us. Uh, so that's certainly one way that we can, can love our pastors and, and honor them uh, is, is by praying for them on a, on a regular basis. In this passage, there are a lot of commands. Yeah. Is there a way to organize these so that we can kind of get a handle on, on the commands that Paul is presenting here? I think so. We just talked about verses 12 and 13, and, and those, you know, a couple of commands there relate to how a church relates to its leaders. So that's, you know, that's the first um, grouping of commands in verses 12 and 13. And then verses 14 and 15 you have six commands in those verses, and they all relate to personal relationships within the church. They're all about our, our responsibilities to others within the body of Christ. 
there's one thing that those six commands in verses 14 and 15 have in common. It, and, and those commands are, you know, to warn, to comfort, to help, to be patient with, don't repay evil for evil, pursue what's good for one another. Those are, are all of those are commands that cannot be obeyed in isolation. They're, but they're, they're obeyed, they're, they're fulfilled, they're lived out within the context of a local church. So verse 14 and 15 relate to our relationships with one another within the church. And then verses 16 to 18 all relate to, um, you know, more personal disciplines or, or, or your own responsibilities in, in your relationship with God. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks and everything. And then the last section, verses 19 to 22, relate to our, and this is the more difficult to, to get a handle on or to put a label on, verses 19 to 22, but they really relate to our responsibilities in worship or how do we evaluate and respond to those who claim to speak a message from God? Um, on the one hand, it's like Paul is saying here, don't be so gullible that you believe everyone who claims to speak for God. On the other hand, don't be so cynical that you, re that you might reject some teaching that comes from God that, that could help you. So Paul is saying here, test all things, test them against God's word. And if a teaching lines up with God's word, then hold on to it, but stay away from whatever doesn't line up with God's word. I think that's how, I, to me, I think that's how we can um, organize all, all of these commands in this chapter. So it's relationships within the church, relationship with the father. Mm. And then because the joy part, that section really is about how we relate to God. Right. And then the last section would be the last uh, grouping would be how we relate to, to truths we hear something yeah. of that nature. Okay. Yeah, right. Verse 23, we see that this final blessing and Paul uses the phrase God of peace. Now, that's a different way of identifying God. Uh, what's the significance of him defining God as the God of peace? I think the significance is, is found in, in what Paul is praying here. The content of, of this prayer uh, of Paul, and I think that helps us understand um, the, why he's identifying God in this way. Paul prays that the God of peace would sanctify them completely. And, it, and you mentioned earlier that we talked about sanctification in a previous session, session five, which looked at chapter four, verse three, God's will is your sanctification. We, so we talked about sanctification then. Let me, let me say another thing or two about sanctification as it relates to, to this. We, we can talk about sanctification in three ways. First of all, there's positional, what some call positional sanctification. That means it, it, it hap it, this is what happens at conversion when you pass from spiritual death to spiritual life. You are sanctified. God's, when you are converted, when you're saved, God sets you apart as his. You know, there's a related, uh, a related word is the word saint. That's related to the word sanctification, saint. And every believer is a saint. It means God sets you apart. You belong to him now. So you're a saint. You know, there's a saying, you're, you're a saint or you ain't. Um, and so, <laughs> is a, really a synonym for Christian. If you're a believer in Christ, you're a saint. 
And that means God has set you apart. You've been sanctified or set apart and you belong to him, right? And then there's, there's a second way to talk about sanctification. It's a progressive thing. It's, it's, there's progressive sanctification. It's a, it's a process whereby we become more and more like Jesus as the Holy Spirit works in us to make us more and more like Christ. That's the progressive element of sanctification as we grow in Christ. And then the third aspect is ultimate sanctification or final sanctification. And that's what happens when we're promoted from this life to heaven. Okay, that, that's, that's what happens, you know, um, in the end, uh, when we are fully, completely sanctified. So Paul uses this term completely here in the context of sanctification. His prayer is that the God of peace would accomplish their complete and final sanctification. That, that'll happen when Jesus comes back. So when he, when he uses this, this terminology of the God of peace, he, we, we understand it in that context. You know, peace is a word that can refer to the absence of conflict or the absence of discord. And, and there was some discord going on in, in the Thessalonian church, as he just mentioned a few verses up. He talked about the gossips and busybodies in the church saying things they shouldn't say. So there was some of that going on, but that's not how he's using peace here. He's using peace here when he says the God of peace in a more theological way. And it's really synonymous. Peace here is really synonymous with salvation. He's, I think he has in mind the completion of our salvation or our, our final ultimate sanctification. And I think that's, that's what he has in mind when he says the God of, of peace. In that same verse, he talks about sanctifying body, soul, and spirit. Yeah. What should we make of him defining our sanctification in those three ways? Yeah, those when you, when you take those three terms, you put them together, he's stressing the whole person, wholeness, you know, the totality of who we are. I don't think he's, I don't think Paul is trying to say here that, we, well, we're, we're made up of these three parts. I mean, I don't think that's, I don't think that's what he's emphasizing here, that you're made up of these three different parts. I think he's putting these three ideas together to emphasize the, the totality of, of our nature as human beings. Because you've got also the words, and it's connected to the words completely and the word whole in that verse, completely and whole. You know, you go all the way back to Paul's day. Even, even back then, people debated whether people consisted of two parts, three parts, four parts. How many parts are there of, you know, Jesus talked about, you know, the soul and the body. Um, on, another, on another occasion, he, he talked about uh, your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. All right, is it two or four? Well, Paul talked, you know, Paul talked about the spirit and the flesh. Here he's talking about spirit, soul, and body. So, I mean, how many parts are we? But I don't think that's the point here. Um, I think body, soul, and spirit can describe different aspects of our, of our nature. But I think in this context, his prayer is that God would sanctify their entire being so that everything they are as humans would be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. It's, it's more of a rhetorical thing here. It's like we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. And what he's saying, what Jesus was saying there, love him with everything you've got. 
love him with your whole being. So I think the, the important thing in, in this, you know, in these terms that he groups together is, is to remember that we can't separate the spiritual part of us from, from everything else. You know, every part of us is to reflect Christ. Um, every, every aspect of our being uh, belongs to him and, and, is, and is to reflect him. That's the goal of this whole part or this whole section of scripture yeah. uh, 12 through 24 is that we need to live God honoring lives uh, in every area and in every way. Uh, one thing I would point to uh, when teaching this lesson is a quote by R.C. Sproul that's included in quick source. It's in the dig deeper section. It's the last part of the session uh, in quick source. And the writer mentions that R.C. Sproul made this quote when he was talking about rejoicing, about God's joy in our lives. He said, the key to Christian joy is its source, which is the Lord. If Christ is in me and I in him, that relationship is not a sometimes experience. The Christian is always in the Lord and the Lord is always in the Christian. And that is always a reason for joy. One of the reasons I would bring this up here is that while I'm teaching this, I may quote this, this uh, statement by R.C. Sproul and get people's reaction. Uh, here's this quote. Now, how do you react to that? But the article goes on and tells us that Christian joy is the realization of something that's both eternal and internal. So an I and an E making a difference. It's the e eternal with an E because we see ourselves and the sufferings of this present time is not worth, they don't even compare to what's gonna happen after this life is over. So it has that eternal part of it. The internal part deals with our pleasure not being based on, or our joy not being based on the pleasures of this world, but instead being rooted in our relationship with Christ, knowing that his presence is always there, no matter what, challenge we're facing, where we are, what's going on, he is always there, and that brings joy in our lives. But I think that'd be important for us to, to present uh, and have a discussion about while we're uh, looking at this passage, because so many folks have the idea that joy comes because it's situations, as opposed to joy coming because of us having Christ's presence in our life. I, I appreciate you being with us today. Uh, from time to time in this podcast, we mentioned different resources, like today we mentioned QuickSource. Uh, you can find out more about all the Explore the Bible resources on our website at goexplorethebible.com. I want to thank you for listening to us this week, and we hope you'll join us next week when we look at session 10. We'll be looking at 2 Thessalonians. We finished this week our study of 1 Thessalonians. We'll be making that shift to 2 Thessalonians. We'll be looking at verses 3 through 12 in chapter 1, and looking at the idea of how Christ enables believers to persevere with faithfulness.